month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to, the mar to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favour with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Thanks, Alan. You can keep going. Good morning, everyone. Uh, my name's Josh, if we haven't met. Um, let's uh, pray to our great God and Father now before we open up his word this morning. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, as we look at this bit of your word, uh, as we look uh, at Luke's account of Gabriel's visit to Mary, uh, I pray that you would soften our hearts and help us to see how glorious Jesus is. I pray that this Christmas our hearts would be filled with joy as we think about him, as we think about the great gift that you have given to us in him. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Christmas is tomorrow, one sleep away. Uh, maybe at your house right now, there's a big pile of carefully wrapped presents under your Christmas tree, just waiting to be shredded open tomorrow. Uh, in my house when I was growing up, there was always a big pile of presents under the tree by the time it was Christmas Eve, and each present had our name written on it, and me and my five other siblings uh, would carefully observe the big pile of presents. We weren't allowed to touch, just look, and we would try to figure out how many presents we were getting and how big they were. And I would always get really excited when I saw a really big, impressive-looking present with my name on it, and I would always get jealous when I saw a big, impressive-looking present with someone else's name on it. Every Christmas seemed like a competition to see who would get the biggest present, because we all thought, you know, if it's bigger, it must be better. <laughs> If it looks impressive on the outside, it must be impressive on the inside. Now, it took me many Christmases to figure this out, to my shame, but sometimes, even most of the time, the biggest, most impressive-looking present isn't the best. Sometimes, the best gift, the greatest gift, 
comes in a small, plain package. We're in a series right now called The Greatest Christmas on Earth, which we've shamelessly stolen from Kmart, which is running an ad campaign of the same name. Uh, Kmart, by the way, cannot give you the greatest Christmas on Earth. The greatest Christmas on Earth happened 2,000 years ago. And at that Christmas, the first Christmas, God gave us, humans, a gift. This gift didn't look impressive or fancy on the outside. In fact, this gift looked very small and plain and ordinary. But this gift was the greatest gift we could ever receive. And God gave us this gift through a young woman named Mary. We read all about it in Luke chapter 1, in the passage that was read out just before. In this passage, God sends His messenger, His angel, Gabriel, to Nazareth, where this young woman Mary lived, to tell her that she was going to receive a great gift from God. Now, Gabriel had been a very busy angel. In the verses just before the ones we're looking at, Gabriel had previously appeared to Mary's relative, Zechariah, uh, to tell him that his wife Elizabeth, who was very old and couldn't have children, was going to have a baby who would grow up to be John the Baptist. That was great news, exciting news, miraculous news. And now, six months into Elizabeth's pregnancy, it was Mary's turn to receive some great news, even more exciting and miraculous than Elizabeth's. Have a look at verses 26 to 28. It's coming. Uh, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favoured, the Lord is with you. Now, when we listen to this passage today, we don't think much of it because we've heard the Christmas story so many times. But the people listening to this story for the first time 2,000 years ago, they would have found this story incredible. Mary, of all people, gets a visit from an angel. This is like a royal messenger from Buckingham Palace in London being sent from the Queen of England herself to deliver an important message to a high school student in Chinchilla. Mary's just a plain and ordinary girl. She's young. The passage says she's a virgin. She's never been with a man before. She's probably still in her teens, around high school age. And she's engaged to a guy called Joseph. Joseph's a descendant uh, of the famous King David, but that doesn't mean he's rich or famous or anything. I actually met a guy in a cafe this week who could trace his lineage back 800 years, and there were kings and queens in his family. He was just an ordinary guy. So Mary's fiancé, he's not particularly special. Mary herself is from a little nowhere town in Galilee called Nazareth. Uh, To give you an idea what people thought of Nazareth back then, years later when one of Jesus' disciples, Nathaniel, was first told that Jesus had come from Nazareth, his first response was, can anything good come out of Nazareth? So no one thought that Nazareth was a place that had much going for it. You see, Mary, she's just an ordinary young woman from an ordinary town, and yet an angel from God visits her, this 
mighty, impressive, intimidating being, and says to her, Greetings, you who are highly favoured, the Lord is with you. Now, at first when you read that, you might think, wow, Mary was highly favoured. She must have been one of God's favourite people. That's what I first thought when I read that. But that's not quite true. When you see the word favoured here, don't think favourite. Think graced or gifted. The angel actually says something quite strange to Mary. He literally says, grace, graced, the Lord is with you. Or grace to you, O graced one. Or grace to you, O one who has been shown graced. Grace. That doesn't really make sense to us, so our Bible translations have helped us out here by putting in what the angel was trying to convey, greetings, you who are highly favoured. But Mary would have heard something like, grace, graced. And this greeting was very troubling and confusing. In verse 29, it says, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. So what's the angel talking about? What does grace, graced mean? Or grace to you, O graced one? Well, whenever you read the word grace in the Bible, think gift. The two words are interchangeable. Grace means gift. A gift, just like a grace, is something that you receive that you haven't worked for. That's what makes a gift a gift. If you work for something, if you earn something, if you pay for something, it's not a gift, it's not a grace, it's a wage, it's an earning, it's a purchase. If tomorrow morning someone hands you a present and says, Merry Christmas, that's $50, please, that's not a gift. Gifts are something you receive freely. What the angel is trying to tell Mary by saying grace, grace, or grace to you, O graced one, is that she is about to receive a grace, a gift, something that she hasn't worked for or earned. And that's probably why she's so troubled in verse 29. You know, a great, powerful angel has appeared to her and told her that the Lord is with her and that she's going to be graced, she's going to be gifted with a great gift. And she's probably very confused and very frightened. She's probably thinking to herself, why me? I'm just an ordinary girl from an ordinary town. I haven't done anything special to deserve this. But the angel comforts her and reassures her in verse 30. He says, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favour or grace with God. And what's this favour or grace or gift that she will be shown? Verses 31 to 33. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary was going to be graced to be gifted with a king, and not just any king, the king. To any Jew living in first century Israel, these words of Gabriel would have been amazing. The Jews had been waiting and waiting and waiting for about a thousand years for the promised Messiah, the anointed king. 
one of David's descendants who God had promised would rule forever. But with every passing descendant of David on the throne, there was disappointment. Every one of David's descendants, so many of them were corrupt, wicked kings. And in the 600 years prior to Jesus' coming, there were no proper kings on the throne because Israel was ruled by empire after empire, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Persians, the Medes, the Greeks, and now the Romans. And so finally, after all these years of Israel having no king, Mary has promised that she will give birth to the king. So imagine how Mary's feeling at this point. Not only has she been visited by an angel from God, which would have been an amazing, scary experience in itself, but she's been told that she will give birth to the king for whom her whole country has been waiting for a thousand years. The hopes and dreams of her friends and family and neighbours and fellow citizens and ancestors rests on her shoulders. This is massive. But there's a slight problem in Mary's mind. She asks Gabriel in verse 34, how will this be since I am a virgin? Sure, Mary's engaged, but she's never been with a man before, and Gabriel seems to be giving her the impression that she will conceive a baby now, which to her ears surely sounds crazy. So how is this possible? Well, Gabriel answers in verse 35, and he raises the stakes a trillion times. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. This is huge. It's, it was already amazing enough when Gabriel said that Mary was going to give birth to the promised King of Israel, but, but now he seems to be suggesting that Mary's going to give birth to the King of the universe, the King of the entire cosmic order. Gabriel is saying that this little baby in Mary's womb will be conceived by God Himself. Notice how each person of the Trinity is mentioned in this verse. The Holy Spirit, God the Spirit, will come upon Mary, and the power of the Most High, that's God the Father, will overshadow her, and they will knit together the Son of God, God the Son, in Mary's womb. This baby will have no human biological father. This baby's biological father will be God, and his biological mother will be Mary, which means he will be fully human and fully God at the same time. He will be called the Son of Man and the Son of God. This is incredible, mind-blowing stuff. In 1995, Joan Osborne sang, What if God was one of us? Just a slob like one of us. Just a stranger on the bus trying to make his way home. But God did become one of us. He did become a slob like one of us, who ate and drank and bled and sweat and cried and sang and worked and slept. God became a human like one of us, and His name was Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate revelation of God to us. Jesus is God in human form, 
that is tangible and understandable to us. He's the God-man. He's both man and God at the same time. He's how the invisible God is made visible to us. That's why in John 1.18, the Apostle John writes, no one has ever seen God, That's, that is God the Father, but the one and only Son, who is Himself God and is in the closest relationship with the Father, has made Him known. Now, it's also why in John 14, when Jesus' disciple Philip asked Jesus, show us the Father and that'll be enough for us, Jesus says, don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you for such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? What's both John and Jesus saying? They're saying, Jesus is how you see God. Jesus is how an invisible God becomes visible. Because Jesus is both man and God, born of Mary, but also born of God. Now, when Mary first hears this news back in Luke 1, that she's going to give birth, not simply to the King of Israel, but the Son of God, she's undoubtedly thinking, this sounds impossible. You know, we'd, we'd all probably be thinking the same thing in her situation. But nothing is impossible with God. God is the creator of the universe. He is the author of all human history. He's the sustainer of existence to itself. We are to God what Harry Potter is to J.K. Rowling. We are to God what a character in a novel is to the author of that novel. And so for God to become a man is like an author to become a character in their story. Now, at first that sounds impossible. It, sounds, it seems impossible for someone like J.K. Rowling to enter into one of her books. But on the other hand, it's entirely possible because she's the author. She can write herself into the story as one of the characters. And it's the same with God. He's the creator, He's the author, and so He can do whatever He likes. And that's what He's done in Jesus. He's written Himself into human history as the man Jesus. What seems impossible to us is not necessarily impossible with God. Which is why Gabriel tells Mary in verse 36, look, even your old relative Elizabeth, who couldn't have any kids, is six months pregnant because, verse 37, no word from God will ever fail. Which is another way of saying, if God says it'll happen, it'll happen. Nothing is impossible with God. Now, at this point, Mary is at a crossroads. She can either choose to believe what Gabriel has told her, or she can choose not to believe it. Now, if you'd been reading this chapter from the beginning, you would notice that Zechariah had been at the same crossroads six months earlier. When Gabriel visited him to tell him that Elizabeth was going to give birth to a baby in her old age, Zechariah didn't believe him. And so, what did Gabriel do? He made Zechariah mute, unable to speak, until the little baby John the Baptist was born. So, what's Mary going to do? Is she going to believe Gabriel, or is she going to ask for some solid proof that this is really going to happen, like Zechariah did? What does she say? Verse 38, 
She says, I am the Lord's servant, may your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Mary believes. She's probably still filled with doubts and questions, but she trusts that God is going to do what He has said He will do. She trusts that God is going to give her and all of humanity with her the great gift He has promised and the greatest gift that you could ever receive. You know, this story blows me, blows me away more and more every year. When I think about the fact that the eternal Son of God, who has potentially created worlds and universes and dimensions and trillions and trillions of different creatures that we don't know about, and out of all the different creatures He could have become, He decided to permanently become a human being, one of us. And He did all this because He loves us, because He wants to have a relationship with us. That in and of itself blows my mind. It makes me go, kind of like Mary did, why us? Why humans? What is man's that you are mindful of Him? This is an amazing, this is the amazing, incredible story of Christmas that I still haven't got my head properly wrapped around. 2,000 years ago, God became one of us because He loves us, and that's His gift to us. Tomorrow, when we're opening our presents, it's so easy to get lost in the excitement of toys and games and electronic devices and brand new socks and undies, and to forget the amazing gift that God has given us himself. He's not a gift we earn, He's a gift we receive freely, and He comes to us in a plain and ordinary package. A little baby born to a plain and ordinary woman from a plain and ordinary town. This little baby born to Mary is kind of like a really small gift wrapped in brown paper tied with string that sits at the bottom of your pile of impressive-looking presents and it's so easily forgotten or ignored, but on the inside, it's full of diamonds. On the outside, this little baby doesn't seem that exciting or impressive, but on the inside, he's extraordinary. He's the promised Messiah, but more than that, he's God the Son, God in the flesh. And he didn't just come to earth to say hello for 30 years and tell us that he's thinking of us, he came to die so that we might live He grew to become a man and died a horrific death on a cross to take our punishment for our sin so that we might live, so that we might become children of God, so that we might be born again. There's a carol that summarizes it beautifully. Mild He lays His glory by. The Son of God lays His glory down to become a mild, humble baby. And why was He born? Born that man no more may die, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn King. Maybe this Christmas you're at a crossroad like Mary was and like Zechariah was. Maybe you're trying to figure out whether to believe, whether to believe this little baby was really a king not just the King of Israel, but the King of the universe, your King. 
Let me encourage you this Christmas to receive this gift from God, this little baby in a manger, this small gift in brown paper tied with string, because sometimes the best gift, the greatest gift, comes in a small, plain package. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You that You have graced us with Your Son, Jesus, that You have given us the gift of Yourself in Him. Thank You that this Christmas we get to celebrate Him. Thank You that You have chosen to become a human like one of us, because You love us and You care for us. Help us this Christmas, help us tomorrow as we enjoy each other's company as we enjoy family and friends and opening presents. Help us not to forget you, the greatest gift we could ever receive. In Jesus' name, amen.